Ciao, what's going on everyone? It's Dr. Jordan Seda coming to you live from New York City. Are you ready to go to health and back? All right, let's get it. Welcome to Health and Back, a podcast run by a physical therapist focused on fitness, performance, and mindset tools for success. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jordan Seda. Beautiful people, I am joined here by another lovely guest coming to us from north of the border. Uh, my first guest from uh, the beautiful country of Canada, although it seems like there's some things happening in Canada right now. It's all over the news. I'm not really following too much, but uh, anyway, uh, Lima is doing her thing in Montreal no matter what. Lima, what's going on? Hey, Jordan, thanks for having me on. I'm I appreciate the shout out. Um, yeah, Canada's doing fine. It's freezing right outside. I'm in Montreal. Um, politically, I'd rather not say what's going on. <laughs> what's up. Uh, but here we are uh, discussing health and um, I'm excited. Woo! Always, always. So just to give a little bit of a background on how I came across Lima, uh, about two years ago, I was introduced to Lima by a uh, former client of mine, well, who's also kind of a current client of mine and now a friend uh, who introduced me to Lima, who is a trainer, but also has shifted her gears towards focusing on helping individuals create healthier eating habits and more sustainable lifestyles. So um, Lima, tell me a little bit about how that's been going. Well, that's been going good. Um, I recently started embracing the idea of um, focusing more on relationships with food, uh, with my clients, and that has taken a life of its own in a good way. But just to take a step back and introduce myself with a, when it comes to my background, I have a master's degree in biology, most specifically behavioral biology. And with that, instead of going into research and becoming a professor, I decided to go on a tangent completely and um, confuse my parents and go into personal training. <laughs> so um, I took time uh, to get a cer certificate in personal training. And with that came the nutrition certification also under NASM, both of which are NASM certifications. Um, and then further on, I started just getting more and more interested, but not only interested, but curious about all the moving parts of what makes uh, the the a person healthier, leaner, and stronger. And then I realized in my 10 years of experience in the world of fitness, um, seven years of which were professional, um, there's a big, uh, big elephant in the room for the lack of words uh, of our relationship with our, our food. And not only that, and the dialogue we have internally because of the diet culture, uh, regarding food and regarding exercise and regarding all the healthier options out there. So um, I'm hoping today to discuss these points and elaborate more on them. That's, that's incredible. Now, now that you're so immersed in focusing more on the, the dietary and nutritional aspects of our health and lifestyles, what is one thing that you've learned about diet and nutrition that you wouldn't have believed to be true before, but it definitely is. Well, we all know that um, 
nutrition and your uh, over-encompassing diet is very important in your wellness and fitness journey. There's no doubt about that. But um, something that was a little more subliminal in my discovery was that my clients, when I first started working at big box gyms, were always struggling with their relationship with their body image and food. And I noticed that to be more frequent than I thought. I thought it would just be like one out of five, one out of 10. But yo, for me, for my, <laughs> my stats, no one else's, four out of five people who walk into my office have some sort of damaged relationship with food. Now, I'm not talking at the level of bulimia of anorexia, that is out of scope of my practice, that is psycholo psychologists address that kind of stuff, therapists. Uh, clinical level but for me I thought like how can I help these individuals get better at with the right tools to address these issues because if you cannot address your relationship with your body image your relationship with food and your relationship with being healthy like people also detest and find exercise agonizing right a lot of people think that too so if you can't get over that hump how how will you get to your goals, which is to lose 20 pounds, 30 pounds, or gain muscle if you are just like in not in a good place with these with these items. So um, it, I took it upon myself to kind of start veering into this rabbit hole of understanding the psychology. Since I do have a psychology major, it just makes a lot of sense for me because I find it super fascinating. The behavior and the brain, these two things are just for me something I could just gnaw on all day. 24 7 non-stop it's just like if you get me talking i won't stop so please you can just wave a red flag and be like Lima, that's <laughs> <laughs> so um that being said um yeah i just realized that people require a little bit more uh, we need to address the more important stuff uh, which is the fundamental stuff and that is your relationship with food relationship with exercise your relationship with your body image and here we are. And uh, if you asked me a question 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought this would be such an important and significant part of people's journeys, but it is actually many people's journeys, not all, but a lot of people. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. And even I struggle in sometimes with my relationship with food and my image. But uh, well, in your experience, what do you feel like are some of the major contributors to why some people have unhealthy relationships with food and eating? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, and if we want to, if you want to simmer it down to the basics, honestly, it's it's the belief systems that we are pretty much accustomed to. Now, beliefs are predisposed ways of thinking around a specific subject. Now, sometimes these beliefs are associated through, sorry, they are reinforced through culture. Beliefs can be reinforced through uh, your childhood experiences and just generally who you're hanging out with, when and what's going on and how, how, how susceptible you are to make those beliefs your own. Now, what's exciting about that, and a lot of people can also listen up close, beliefs can actually change, um, which is great. But a lot of people feel like their identity is heavily tied with their beliefs. And hence, it makes it harder for them to let go of something that they for a long time thought was to be fact. 
that belief is not a fact, right? If you believe that a chicken salad is a bland, I'm just making it very simple, a chicken salad is a bland and boring dish. Uh, but then Sally comes up and she's like, you know what? I love chicken salad. It makes me feel so nourished. It brings out the best in my in me when it comes to energy. I feel light and I feel like I can take on the day. Versus a person who disregards that and then just says, the only thing that makes me feel satisfied is a cheeseburger with extra products. I'm like, okay, yeah, but that's a belief system, right? So um, question your beliefs and ask yourself, is it serving you on your journey to better wellness and health if that's your priority? And if these beliefs are not in alignment or are hindering your progress, then you should start questioning what's going on and that dialogue that you're having in your head, whether this dialogue is a, a dialogue of negative association and it's time to either work on yourself, read some books and learn how to rewire your brain or work with a professional to help guide you how to make those um, habits or those beliefs become uh, dismantled and Re, and then reassess your beliefs and start working on beliefs that serve you, for example. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally into that. And you just mentioned the word habits. And immediately I thought of the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yeah. Uh, I've only read that once. I know people have read it multiple times over, I guess, sort of to reinforce uh, their habit stra uh, forming strategies. And I know that, you know, from my experience reading the book and in life, if you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong as the expert here, that if you identify as someone in your, in that situation, someone who eats chicken salad or someone who loves chicken salad, then eating a chicken salad becomes just like second nature and just what you do. If you identify as, or if you identify as someone that believes that eating a chicken salad is something that healthy people do. So therefore, if you identify as a healthy person, then therefore you make food choices like eating a chicken salad. Is that kind of on mark? Yeah, so you kind of, yeah, you're getting the broad strokes for sure. Um, but um, the habits are a very different entity, in my opinion, from um, your belief systems. Okay. Um, they could work together for sure to reinforce each other. There's no doubt about that. Um, but habits are actions that we take or a series of actions that we take uh, that have been automated. Um, when you have a habit of brushing your teeth, you don't really think twice and look forward to it in any shape or form. It's just a habit, right? It's just something that you do because you do. You go in autopilot mode and the habit becomes, uh, and this actionable habit uh, becomes part of your just lifestyle and life in general. How can we get eating healthy to be as habitual as brushing your teeth? Yeah, that's hard. Um, but for most people um, struggling with re, um, Eliminating bad habits and replacing them with good habits is probably the hardest hurdle. It's the biggest um, need of energy and momentum, right? So like if you want to start a new habit of going running for five kilometers every 6 a.m. every day, that requires a little bit of priming, 
that won't be a habit for a while until you have consistently established um, a routine, aka a ritual you love and look forward to. So that that solidifies these um, these actions that prelude and um, come after the exercise bout or whatever what have you. So um, habits are only habits when they have become so automated, they just feel like a default mode. When you reach that point, usually it's easy to just sail, but you gotta build your ship first and that takes time. Some people build it in 10 days, habits can form in 10 days. And people say habits form in 21 days, that's just like simple average, but people's habits could take 10, to, 10 days to six months, depending on how well you set up your environment to help you stay on track um, on this habit and how you decide to frame this habit. Like how important is it for you to follow up with these actions on a regular basis? Is it once a week? Is it every day? Are you weaning off of something and adding something such as weaning off of let's say cigarettes, right? You wanna stop the habits of, of, of smoking easily, right? So you go from, uh, from five cigarettes a day to four cigarettes a day over the course of weeks until you're at one cigarette a week. Perhaps you're going to replace this cigarette habit with um, a nicotine patch to help you out. All right. Then one nicotine patch, two nicotine patches become one nicotine patch or whatever. Uh, just we're talking about dosages here. Right. And then you slowly start weaning off. Some people find it like habit stacking is, is a good thing to do with every, um, during the time in which you would take a cigarette, for example, you would perhaps have a zero calorie seltzer water, something that would give you that reward, give that reward system something to work with. Otherwise, you're just eating your nails. Like, oh, I'm so anxious. And you don't want that, right? So habit stacking is a great way of going about it. And I think that he talks about it, James Clear, which is a book I also read. Um, and uh, yeah, he talks about habit stacking or some form of habit stacking in his uh, application part of his book. So yeah, I mean, habits and beliefs do work together, but they're kind of exclusively different when it comes to uh, the identity of each. Yeah, that's interesting. Or maybe I need to reread the, the book because I did sort of uh, combine those two uh, concepts together at all times even though they can be mutually exclusive but one thing i will say is if you want to quit smoking do not move to europe because i seem to be in the minority i seem to be in the minority when i was over there uh, people who don't smoke and it's kind of hard it's like if all your at friends least you smoke, stand out or you felt awkward what was it uh i I didn't feel awkward at all. I felt awkward when every day I had to eat a pastry for breakfast and I'm like, where are the eggs and the, the other protein sources? I think it's crazy that I normally keep about, and this is another, this might align nicely with our conversation. It's like, I generally on average get like 150 grams of protein a day. Uh, I might've scraped 50 a day over there when I was, in, I, I was just in Italy for those of you who uh, are, have not been following me and it's just like coming to terms with the fact that it's temporary but also it, it's really difficult to just let go of control that there are less protein sources overall and you know you just have to deal with it just for a short period of time even though you become so 
regimented in this daily consumption of protein in your overall diet that it, it was a challenge for me to rescind control, but I did and better off, better doing it now than I was maybe even two years ago when I was counting calories and macros every single day, which I no longer do. So um, from what I understand, you said that in Italy, you had a hard time um, uh, capping out your protein intake. Was that what I heard? Uh, it was almost impossible to yeah. find enough sources of protein there. I noticed that too when I travel. Um, there's not a lot of sources of protein out there. That's why I travel with, always with a container of my protein powder. <laughs> just so that I can have the fail-safe plan B. Um, but that's just my, my way of going about it. Um, but... <clears throat> Um, when traveling, especially at the airport or in locations that are very touristy, they rely highly on carbs and fats to fuel <laughs> fuel those people who come by and proteins. Uh, and protein is usually heavily processed, whether it's bologna or just like those really icky, in my opinion, processed meats that are, I'd rather not eat at that point. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd be like, sure. yeah, okay, fine, I'll have a salad. Um, but to be honest, to maintain your current protein, sorry, to maintain your current muscle mass, your protein intake can go uh, down to almost 80 grams of protein a day. But if you find it hard to achieve 80 grams of protein a day for a person your size, then I would start getting concerned. But for a week or more, it's fine, like a week or 10 days. It's not the end of the world. Your body won't um, catabolized to an extent that it's irreversible. I would not worry at all. I'd say enjoy your vacation. And, uh, once you get back to your routine, you get back to your routine and that's it. You, know, you don't look back. That's it. Um, so I noticed something, uh, about the subject is how the world has transformed its eating palate to one that is much more hyper palatable. Um, speaking of, uh, the sugars and fats and the carbs, um, the, mag the magic equation is what? It's salt, sugar, and fat. And with that, you can make foods that are extremely dangerous, um, in quotes, sorry, not dangerous in bad okay. ways, but dangerous in the way that they can get you eating more than you want. So uh, food hyperpalatability is an issue. And for people who are trying to perhaps eat better or eat healthier or lose weight, lose fat, specifically speaking, um, it's always harder when they have extremely rewarding and extremely um, convenient hyperpalatable foods that contain the perfect amount formulated of salt, sugar, and fats. So it's obvious that big companies spend so much on R&D, especially, let's say, food companies, to ensure that their foods keep you coming back. And those foods are never usually an apple or celery. Yeah, no, it's not going to happen or it's not going to be a slab of lean steak. No, it's not. It's always going to be those high sugar, high fat, high salt, heavily processed foods that always keep people coming back and they mislabel them and the nutrient facts are not usually accurate. And then leading you on to think, oh, this is high fiber, low sugar option, but really it's, it's filled with fillers and a lot of fat unnecessary fat and it's just it's not 
It's not whole foods, right? Um, so to circle back to your answer, yeah, we lack protein in, in our everyday diets for the layman, but you can get by with minimal protein. 50 to 60 grams can get you by, but will it help you build muscle? Uh, not really, because you need to have a solid resistance training program to help you progress through and uh, build muscle with a little bit of excess protein would help outside the 60 to 80 grams. Um, so yeah, 150 grams is solid. And yeah, if you keep hitting those marks, it's pretty good. I tried 150 grams once and I was just like, I can't just eat, I continue continuously eating egg whites and protein powder. That was just a bit too much. So I lowered it down to 120 grams for me, but I'm a, I'm a little girl. I'm a, sorry, I'm short. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I, I'm not as focused so much on hitting 150 grams a day anymore. I guess, you know, when I was doing more powerlifting back in the day, uh, which I'm not doing nearly as much anymore because my focus is now on capoeira and trying to do backflips and well, stuff. Well, do you find that you are more like a, in, having had experience calorie tracking? Yeah. Does it make you a better intuitive eater? Or does it feel like if the reins are off, the reins are off, I just eat? No, I, uh, I'm actually, I generally have an understanding of the calorie the calorie value of the foods that are going into my body now, because I had tracked calories and macros pretty intensely for about three years, but I was admittedly getting to a point where it was giving me anxiety to even just like, oh, if I go to a bar and have a drink, like it's a bunch of empty calories and all this other stuff. So now I just budget some like calories if I know I'm going to socially drink without being like, how much exactly do I need in order to meet my daily Calorical because at the end of the day, my I'm very content with my weight and my image. So despite even going on a binger once in a while, I still remain in a very healthy place with my relationship with nutrition. Yeah, so it sounds like in the past three years you kind of developed this um, safe place for between you and food, and you've developed a not only an understanding but a harmony where you are not restricting yourself but in the same time you look at food um, as a form of nutrition and as fuel for the most part and when you indulge you indulge mindfully and not with the idea of oh my god i'm indulging i'm gonna it's it's shaming me or you go into a guilt trip this yeah. brings me to a very good point actually it's one of the points i want to cover which is uh, our a relationship with food with regards to restriction. Um, usually healthy foods are associated with boring, restrictive labels um, and bland, bland, boring, and restrictive. If we're approaching food from a stand, that standpoint, especially healthier foods, we are setting up ourselves for failure. Failure how? Failure in being able to adhere to diets that have more of these nutritious and healthy options. Now, it's always, we have this diet culture, especially on social media, where people highlight their cheat days. And these cheat days are never usually made up of broccoli and chicken, right? We don't, that's not the case. Or nice bowl of tofu salad. No, these cheat days are usually made up of donuts and pancakes and syrup 
and chocolates and and then that association of indulgence in these types of foods becomes the norm if you are to indulge and enjoy yourself and feel satisfied you must have the the, the pancakes with overly done syrup or with layers and layers of like chocolate and peanut butter and all that like okay um that's indulgence but what if i can tell you that if you were to approach healthy foods in the mindset of in the sorry indulgence <clears throat> then it, you will not only reap the benefits of being satisfied when eating that your body will feel much better emotionally feeling like that is not being restricted but coming in from a mindset of restriction on, oh my God, I have to do this. You, you're just setting yourself up for failure because eventually you will, the, the mind and the body does not like to feel like it's restrained. And if you're do, going at a meal plan from a, from a point of view of restraining and restriction, you won't last long because you will, your body and mind will be in pain and it will want to give out somehow. And when does it do that? In your next binge eating episode. But then it's this vicious cycle of restriction, 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 binge. Shame, guilt, restriction, 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 binge, shame, guilt. And it on and on it goes. Um, so how is that serving you? Ask yourself, is it serving me? Am I going to be on this roller coaster for the rest of my life? Not really. Um, it's best not to if you really want to have the true benefits of being in a healthy lifestyle for a long term, this internal dialogue needs to be reframed, your relationship and um, your relationship with food needs to be reevaluated. And you need to put the umph uh, in, in the things that matter to you. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, a, that's it for in a nutshell. And it sounds like you have kind of come naturally into that direction, Jordan, through your three years since calories, uh, not calorie restriction, but calorie counting. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, I'd say so. And it, it, I'm not trying to imply that I don't have any sort of internal conflict or questioning, even this day, like, especially because my body image changes so often where sometimes I look bloated and sometimes I look ripped and I'm, I go through this constant fluctuation. And I think for a second about making a dietary change if I look bloated, but because I understand that it's temporary, I usually just continue to go about my life. Whereas a couple of years ago, I probably would have restricted myself more so. Yeah, and um, this is a good, uh, it's a very important point, Jordan. You point out at taking a step back and um, not making the small things matter too much, right? Because if you're bloated one day, exactly, that's temporary. Going back to clean eating, you'll, that bloat will probably go away that water retention from yesterday's fries and hamburger you had with the guys will go away if you're back on track with your regular good lifestyle eating habits, right? Um, obsessing over little things um, could definitely be detrimental because you lose focus. You start focusing on, you start sweating the small stuff, which really in the bigger picture of things is not worth sweating because you know you're on the right track. Progress doesn't happen overnight. And, um, you're trying to achieve excellence. Yes, of course, I can understand that. But um, progress and uh, progress is heavily associated with consistency. And as long as you're consistent, you're working towards that goal. 
being kind to yourself and showing your body some gratitude for being your body is something that I really, really work a lot on with my clients because they're so harsh on themselves a lot of times. Many of them are. And they're like, oh my God, I went up a pound, I went down a pound, and this roller coaster up, up and down on the scale. So I have them scale themselves every day so that this uh, love relationship with their scale doesn't become an obsessive matter. We treat the scale as a scientific tool to monitor numbers. That's it. It does not define your worth, doesn't define your value, nothing. It's just for us to take a look at the trends. That's it. But really, ask yourself, how are you feeling in your clothes? How's your energy at the gym? When you run around with your kids, are you feeling lethargic or are you full of energy? That's the question you need to ask yourself. Is your body serving you in a way that you feel fulfilled and empowered? Despite the extra 5% of subcutaneous fat that you have. And it's just 5%, but some people obsess about 5%, right? Um, yeah, so these are the reframing ways of approaching this. Um, some people's unrealistic expectations of where their body should be can needs to be reevaluated from time to time because then they realize I'm not willing to give to compromise through so much restriction to be um, at 21% body fat. I'm talking about females, right? You're naturally females are 24 to 27% body fat set point usually. Uh, some outliers are there, that's fine. Uh, but a lot of women, their happy place is 24 to 27%. That's when they feel like they are in control of their hunger, their appetite is good, their energy levels are amazing. But what happens when you're below 21%? Yeah, you got to fight a lot. Uh, there's a lot going on. Is it worth it? Is it worth it turning down dinners, going uh, turning down social events because you want to keep at 21%? God, you got to enjoy, enjoy life and you got to be okay with 23, 24, 25%. You have so much more to take, to take advantage of when you're, you're able to just compromise a little bit, take your foot off the gas. You still look good. You just don't, don't have to be uber lean all the time. Um, but yeah, but when we go through stages of super restrictive eating and we see our body at an extremely lean place and we want to stay there, it comes with a lot of sacrifice and being okay to just let go of some things and hold and perhaps with it comes a little bit of, of being softer, but at least you're living a life that is fulfilling and empowering and you have energy to do everything you want. I'll take that. You know what I mean? Um, so that's a lot of things that talking points that we, me and my clients have uh, amongst many others, like we just discussed today. Um, but yeah, the journey between yourself, your internal dialogue and your circumstance and environment is forever evolving because they're defined by our experiences, right? And it's, it all depends on your experiences as a teenager, uh, as, as a young child, senior parents, um, seeing how they deal with food and how they deal with body image also influences us as adults subconsciously. Some of, some of us are aware of it. Some of us are not aware of it. Yeah, I feel like I could talk to you for two more hours about all this stuff because I keep coming up with new talking points as you keep uh, discussing. And I'm trying to restrain myself just a little bit. Um, but it is crazy. I was actually talking to my brother about this the other day where I think 
like both he and I have pretty above average legs in terms of like definition and just like our overall fat distribution. I was thinking about that as well as some things are out of our control, like where we genetically just store fat. So maybe for me, it ends up in my abdominals like many of us. And that is the zone of uh, disgust, I guess, if, for lack of a better word. When you look at social media, it's like I could be ripped everywhere else. But if my abdominals don't have a six pack, then I'm not going to get as many lights. I'm not going to get as many uh, as much um, praise for my body. And it's just like some things are out of our control where our bodies tend to uh, store fat. Uh, something I had to realize, uh, and I'm not like a hundred percent good. I would, I wish it was distributed elsewhere. Cause like, I don't need my feet to be fully like fainy as they are. Like there's not a lot of fat in my feet, but I'll take some and put it down there for my abdominals, but it's it just, it just doesn't happen that way. Yeah. Um, genetics plays a role indeed. Um, however, it's not as significant as people think. Um, we're not talking about any chronic diseases or anything like that or predisposed diseases. We're just talking about your phenotype, like how you look like and where your fats deposit. Um, so when it comes to fat deposits, most male of males hold their fats in their abdomen and their love handles, yes. Uh, women, most women hold their fat in their thighs and a little bit in their abdomen as well. But there are exceptions. The reverse is also uh, something that I see, men holding weight in their thighs and their butt, while women hold their weight in their stomach or gut. That is definitely 100% genetic, um, with the exception of obviously disorders, but it's not what we're talking about. Um, when it comes to just having to be okay with the cards that you are dealt with genetically, uh, you just have to make the best of it. And you have to look at yourself as a whole, um, as a living machine, which it is what it is. Your body is trying, it's a vessel in which you're trying to go through 80 plus years of trying to be healthy or alive and survive and bring offspring, which is our pretty much what we're here for. If you are thinking from a Darwinian perspective. So from a bigger picture, we can split hairs and see how our toes are not exactly identical and my boyfriend's toes are much prettier than my toes. But um, if, you, <laughs> if we're going to look for perfection, um, then it will defeat the purpose of, your, of our uniqueness. And um, I feel that these imperfections are what makes us so beautiful. Uh, whether or not, like, let's say I hold a lot of um, but around my thigh area and that's just always been the case that's just like i can't fight it as much as lean as i can get jordan they're still there there's nothing i could do <laughs> uh washboard abs six packs i can get quite lean can you see six packs not so much <laughs> am i okay with it yeah whatever it's fine i've come to terms with the fact that there is a everyone has a genetic limit some of us are more blessed than others. But the idea here is to just enjoy the, the body that's giving you the ability to clothe yourself, the ability to dance when you want to, the ability to get to the restroom and back without needing anybody's help, the ability to do everyday things 
and keeping the body doing all these functional things until our late age, perhaps until forever, right? That's the goal. And if you change your mindset from the, the what generally speaking to everyone, from the nuances of your body <laughs> to the bigger picture, um, it, it, it's a conversation you need to have several times with yourself and perhaps remind yourself again and again that this body is a vessel that's helping me live longer and do things that I would otherwise not be able to do if it weren't for this body. Yeah, it has a little bit of a tummy, a little bit of extra fat, but I mean, it's doing what it needs to do and it's getting you from A to B. And that's what, what counts, being grateful, practicing gratitude. I think that's something that we overlook and we're so hard on ourselves uh, when it comes to that because we want to be perfect and our bodies. Uh, the social media doesn't help in certain ways. That's changing, thankfully, the body image. Um, train is definitely changing slowly but there is still a lot of um, misconceptions of what truly is happening in people's lives and people always show the the best versions of themselves when really I mean, everyone's everyone's going through normal life <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. and all. yeah totally so you said something about expressing gratitude for where you are with your body are there any other final thoughts? So say someone didn't listen to this whole podcast and they just fast forwarded to the end. Is there anything that you wanted to leave our listeners off with that they can take with them and I guess feel good about moving forward? Yeah, um, the thing that is right now really resonating with me is the word intuition. Um, your body and mind and heart, when they're all aligned, I know I'm sounding a little too spiritual, but I think people out there will understand what I mean. Take it or leave it. When everything's aligned, you'll feel at peace and you would feel strong knowing that you're in the right spheres of thought, the right spheres of feeling, the right spheres of um, emotions. Um, and with that comes power, the power to be able to um, not sweat the small stuff, just like we were talking about, the power to be able to focus on things that matter. And listen, being able to listen to your intuition or have your intuition lead you, um, and I'm talking about intuition and not the voice in your head that is anxious and talking, talking shit, right? Excuse the language. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to, first of all, differentiate between the dialogue of what your intuition truly is versus the, the dialogue, internal dialogue, that is not your intuition, because it's gonna let you down. We're not talking about the one that says, you're not enough, you're not good enough. Or the person, the, the dialogue in your head is like, um, you gotta work harder, you're not, you're not worth it. You know what I mean? Whatever that is. No, listen to your intuition. And that intuition is what feeds you. Uh, I'm here, let's say my intuition says, I'm doing my best every day, I show up, I stay consistent and if I stay consistent, I will get to where I want to get. If I skip the day, so what? I needed some rest. Perhaps that's what I needed. Give my body some love, give somebody my body some rest. Next day, show up, do the work, 100%. Did the work, good, I love myself. You know what I mean? Like these are just like overarching things. Yeah. Uh, but not, oh, I'm not good enough, whatever. That's just like the voice you need to shut up. Um, so as, soon, as long as you're having that very 
empowering intuitive dialogue where you're trying to work in alignment and in the spheres of your most of your passions and your purpose usually everything comes into um uh everything comes into what's the word into alignment everything comes into play um and it just feels natural i think i'm going to replay that whole segment every single morning before i yeah, go about it's going to be your day. mantra i think awesome. so because I already have, aside from just like internal voices, I have a lot of external voices that are telling me, whether it be just something I see on social media or someone literally telling me I'm not doing enough to yeah. you know, get better at capoeira, to progress a business as a physical therapist. I, you know, If you asked me during the pandemic, I certainly had less things to focus on. So I was like, oh, I'm doing everything I can. I have to work harder. Now I'm just like, Psh. I'm like, fuck it. Like, fuck it, I am still at a competing, well, like, performing at a very high level relative to the global standard. I am doing an amazing job being a healer of people, and I continue to remind myself of those things now versus feeling like I have to do more, I have to do more, because it was unsustainable. And to the end, to, to tie into this, for someone like me who sees food as a means of comfort, if I continue to make myself more anxious, I'm going to make worse health, worse food choices, which will therefore reinforce that vicious cycle of uh, unhealthy practices. Yeah. I think you bring up two good points that I want to cover before we close. Um, humans are social creatures. We depend on, well, not depend, some of us don't, but a lot of us rely on the acceptance of, of others as part of our identity, like part of our um, purpose and being belonging to a group and uh, thriving as a group or as an individual. But I wanna focus a little bit on the group versus individual. When we focusing on ourselves in a more um, introverted way, me, me, me versus the world, it'll be hard. Uh, there's always points to compare. There's always something better to do. Social media makes it no easier to to have a billion and one persons out there who are much leaner than you or, or are doing or performing better than you or are hustling harder than you. There's always going to be that. But if you were to step back and look at the world in a collective form, so it's more like a um, I was reading that yesterday, I believe. Um, uh, the uh, this, uh, what is the some game thing? Anyway, the idea that we're all in here to win. There's no loser or winner idea. Um, and that is a better approach, I believe, to feeling less anxious. Um, and tuning out the unnecessarily external uh, triggers because they are, they are triggers. You see somebody better than you or see somebody cooking better than you or performing better than you. There's always an external trigger to get you to think, oh shit, I need to do more work. I mean, it's nice to be inspired. You look at them and be like, oh my God, they're so inspiring. I wonder what it is that they do that makes them so good. And I'll probably perhaps do one of that thing versus, oh my God, I am here and they're there. 
and they're so, they're so much better than me. How how is this possible? Like, what am I doing? Looking at yourself, like, oh. So being from a standpoint of um, some uh, uh, the sum of all gains, really. Um, I can't remember the word, but yeah, that's it. Um, you want to look at it from a win-win standpoint. And if you look at it from an individualistic standpoint, which unfortunately we do live in an individualistic culture and society here in the West more than it is in the East, but that's slowly changing. Um, it brings forth these triggered cues that come from external cues and you're like, okay, I got to work harder. But if that's inspiring you to, to actually do better then good, but if it's causing anxiety, then it's not serving you. So change that belief to one that is more, um, gentle, more collective, more holistic to you. And perhaps the anxiety won't be as prevalent anymore when you think in that kind of reframed mindset. Yeah, yeah, definitely for real. So someone listened to this whole podcast, they want to work with you. They have questions that you probably didn't get to address on here. Where is the best place for them to reach you? Yeah, so um, I have my website, www.kayelofit.com, or just Lima Kayelo, my full name, uh, K-A-Y-E-L-L-O-F-I-T.com, or the same name uh, in Instagram, same name in Facebook. Uh, that's pretty much my platforms. Uh, recently, I've started picking it up on Instagram ever so slowly. I'm very, I'm a snail when it comes to these things, because obviously I love working with my clients one-on-one -on -one more so than putting social media content. But hopefully um, I'll reframe my, my mental dialogue and start loving social media as much. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much it. If you guys want to reach out to me, uh, just chat. Uh, let me know what's going on. What has been your feats of uh, success? What's had been your, been your challenges? And we can walk through them, especially when it comes to your fitness and wellness journey. I love having conversations with people because I learn more about uh, people's experiences and uh, what people are looking for in a coach too. Um, and that just makes me better. I, I, I enjoy listening a lot. Uh, I enjoy having deep conversations um, and really unraveling, um, the, the, um, uh, unraveling conversations that are very in good spirit and um, uh, very informative. So. Yeah, I look forward to hearing from, from you guys. And thanks, Jordan, for having me on. This is my first podcast. I'm super excited. I should use this equipment more often. So maybe I'll just like reach out to more people. And <laughs> no, definitely. Yeah. It was absolutely my pleasure to have you on. Um, but mi gente, that's all we have for today. I want to thank Lima again for her time and insight. Now get out there and make shit happen. Thanks for listening to this episode of To Health and Back. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And in the meantime, to connect with Dr. Jordan Seda, you can contact him through all social media networks at dr.jordanseda and online at theabstractphysio.com. Until next time, and remember, if opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. <laughs>